1994, I was about 20, 21 years old. Stop me if you've heard this. I'm just kidding because many of you have heard this. Um, I was living with my boyfriend in an apartment in Shelby, North Carolina. She's she's wooing the Shelby part. Shelby. (laughs) And this was not a particularly good situation. Um, My boyfriend at the time was emotionally abusive, and um, it it was not great. It was not great. But, you know, as many of you may have experienced... When you think you love someone, you work real hard to try and figure it out. You strive for the best, and you really don't want to be a quitter. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah. I thought I was in love, so my vision about the reality of our relationship was skewed. I was blind. Friends had tried to reach out to me and tell me, Paige, this, is just isn't, this isn't good for you. And when we finally broke up, they came out of the woodwork. Oh, I'm so glad that's over. I'm so glad you're out of that. Looking back, I had known something wasn't right. I'd known deep down that there was something better. But I was holding on to the idea of love. Y'all know what I mean? The idea of love. Even a poor imitation of love because I had invested in it. I had given myself to it. And honestly, it was comfortable. I knew what to expect. I knew what set him off. I knew where I was going to get manipulated. It was safe. Like I said, many of you who know me or have been here before have heard me tell a little bit about this story, but there's a point this morning in telling it again, so I'm going to continue. On a random phone call with my sister one day, while I was still in this relationship, she asked me one very simple question. Paige, what are you doing? And the Holy Spirit spoke in that question. Scales fell from my eyes, and the blindness was gone. And I looked around and went, I don't know. But all of a sudden, I could see a glimpse of my future. I could see a fraction of my own value and worth, and I knew it was over. My boyfriend came home that day. His bags were packed, and I moved home at the end of the month, back in with my parents as a 21-year-old. I was welcomed with love and honor, even as the prodigal. I knew God had rescued me. He had saved me, delivered me. It was intensely spiritual for a girl who was really not chasing after spiritual things at this time in my life. So why tell the story again? There's a part of the story that I haven't shared a lot about, and that's the after. The after. You guys know, most of you who know me know I got saved. Go God. He changed me. Woo! But I mean the immediately after. So I was rescued. 
So I was safe. So I'd been delivered. Now what? Now what? There's a snippet of a conversation that is burned in my brain. And it's a conversation I had with my father one day in the after. And I've never forgotten it. We were sitting in the car in our carport. I was driving. Daddy was in the passenger seat. I have no idea why I was driving. I don't remember how the conversation began. But I remember sitting there, my hands on the steering wheel, sobbing. What do I do now, Daddy? What do I do now? I've lost everything, my friends, my home, it's all gone. He took all that from me and what he didn't take, I gave up. What do I do? And yeah, it was that emotional. What do I do? Some of you have met my dad. He just patted me on the knee. Honey, in times like these, you do what you know. Faithfully, every day, you put one foot in front of the other and you do what you know. At the time, that didn't feel like much. I don't know. I don't know what I know. I don't know anything, you know. But those words stay with me. Do what you know. Have you ever thought about how the disciples must have felt in the after? Of Jesus' death. (laughs) He was their miracle man. He was there every day. They literally gave up everything to go where he went, follow in his footsteps, and be with him. And then they watched him get arrested, beaten, spit on, his flesh torn off, and ultimately killed. They watched his body broken, get locked away, in a rock, in a tomb. (laughs) Talk about your now what moment. Even though Jesus had told them he'd be back in three days, they couldn't see it. Aside, I'm a little comforted when the disciples are blind. It makes me feel a little better about myself. They didn't see it. And I'm sure... The now what was a big part of their grief, don't you think? With death, there is such a sense of finality, right? A few weeks ago, my uncle died, Uncle Thad. Suddenly, unexpectedly, but there was a reality that came in looking at his body in the funeral home. Uncle Thad's not here anymore. See, the resurrection put death on its head. I'm going to say that again. The resurrection put death on its head. The Jews understood death. I think maybe better than we do. Because their cultural system, the way they operated, was one full of death and blood. They consistently regularly killed animals. I can't even imagine. They regularly killed animals for the blood, for the wrongs of, their, of the people, 
for their own sinfulness. Blood and death were regular companions. Think about that. But the resurrection complicates our understanding of sacrifice and death. Death and sacrifice, the tomb Jesus was buried in, they all represented closure. Closure on a life lived, closure on a debt owed. But if Jesus is alive, what does that mean? What now? Well, we're going to focus today on a passage from Romans chapter 12. You can turn in your Bibles if you'd like. Um, you feel free to use the free Wi-Fi with your phone or your tablet. Paul has just been telling the, the new believers in Rome how they've been grafted into a kingdom, into the family of God. And he gives them, us, a list of things to do in light of what God has done. Now, this is in no way an exhaustive list, <laughs> but I do think it's a really good start for the, day, the Sunday after Easter. It's a really good place for us to, to answer some of the questions of what now. So we're going <laughs> to... We're actually going to read the entire chapter. It's not that long. It's going to look like a lot on the screen. It was a lot of little slides to fill in. But this passage is so packed with good information, and I think we are capable of drawing from the entire thing. And I, I want to see what God does with this. All right, so we're going to begin with verse 1 in chapter 12 of Romans. Therefore, I urge you, hang on, stop. Therefore, all that stuff about Jesus, uh, Paul was just telling them, you've been grafted into the kingdom. You're, you're now a part of this family of God. When you see the word therefore in scripture, it's telling you what it's there for. Okay? So all this stuff I said before, therefore, this is what it's there for. Do this stuff. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, mercy, we have a baby in our congregation. Her name is Murphy. I love her. That just slipped out. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, uh, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. 
If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not pay any, repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's judgment. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Sorry, emphasis mine. <laughs> Do not, I can't read it any other way. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a lot. <laughs> and we're going to unpack this chapter a little at a time, and hopefully our takeaways will be personally, uniquely significant. You see, even though these are instructions to a group of believers, just like we are today, there are collective instructions and individual applications. I love that. The real beauty of this list to me is that it's not based in rule following. Did you pick up on that? It's a work of trust and transformation. We're going to talk a lot about that. Apart from Christ living in me, alive in me, I am not capable of doing much of that stuff. Let's start with verses 1 and 2 where Paul mentions this idea of transformation. There are whole sermons just on these first two verses. I could preach a whole sermon just on the first two verses. But we're going we're gonna to hit the highlights today because I think there's some broad strokes that we can hit first. So let's look at that, those first two verses again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. A sacrifice is a death in and of itself. It's, it's giving something up. So if we're to be living sacrifices, what is dying? And, and more specifically, what is continually dying in a living sacrifice? Self. <laughs> Self. Self-sufficiency, 
self-centeredness, self-selfishness, me, 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 I, I, I. That's what's dying. Paul said in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This concept of being a living sacrifice is one we struggle with as followers of Jesus. As difficult as it is, as it may be to die for what you believe, I believe it is much harder to live (laughs) what you believe. Here's why. We only die once. We have to live every day. I don't know about you or where you are in your walk in life, but sometimes living every day is just real hard. Maybe you haven't experienced life in that way, but I have. And sometimes life is just hard. We are to be a living sacrifice. And that means we offer ourselves to always be in service to the kingdom. I am not my own. As John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said, said, spend me like spare change in your pocket. Do with me what you will. As living sacrifices, a sacrifice is no longer something we do It is who we are. We no longer volunteer at church. We are the church. We no longer serve the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. One is a state of doing. The other is a state of being. But how does this happen? How does this happen, Paige? I believe it's a two-part start. Number one, he tells us, don't be like the world. Don't do the evil that you see out there. Don't don't do that. Stop. Sometimes that's easier said than done. But it's it's a good starting point, yes? And then, by being transformed as the Holy Spirit renews our minds. Choosing against the ugliness in our world seems doable. But what about transforming our minds, I would present to you, offer to you, the notion that we cannot do this on our own. I cannot make myself something other than I am. No more than a caterpillar can will itself to be the butterfly. There must be a work of transformation that happens somewhere inside. It's a mystery and it's beautiful, the biology of it. I don't understand it, do you? But we see the effects of it, don't we? By offering ourselves to Jesus with a heart cry of, make me like you. We position ourselves for his transformation transformational hand just as a potter sits at the wheel and molds his creation so too you and I can place ourselves on the wheel right here be here do with me what you will shape me mold me we sing words like that don't we 
as we do this, as we put ourselves in this place and say to God, have your way in me, our minds are changed. Our blind eyes are opened. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That's such a simple, beautiful prayer. Open the eyes of my heart. We can know and do the will of God through this process. Your entire life will be a testimony to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is alive in me, I can lay down my whole self and allow him to make me new every day. Every day. In the second part of the text, verses 3 through 8, Paul moves from our inner work of transition and transformation, where we start, to the outer work of functioning together as the body of Jesus. Starting in verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think too highly of yourselves, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The start here is looking at ourselves realistically. Where am I? Where am I? And basically in verse 3, he's saying, don't get cocky. Don't think too much of yourself. (laughs) Don't be proud as though you've got it all figured out. But with sober judgment, look at yourself. It's important to note, it is never about our awesomeness. I think sometimes we look at other people and think, if I could just be like that person. If I could just... Oh, be like Jesus. That's our goal, to look like him, not like each other, right? It's never about our own awesomeness, <laughs> ever. It's only with a humble reality of ourselves that we can walk out what he's calling us to be. See, Paul goes on to say that you and I belong to one another. That's uncomfortable, In our little independent American minds, we like to be very separate. The advent of the garage saw the end of the neighborhood. I don't want to talk to you. Don't want to talk to you, neighbor. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, gosh, get in. Close the door. Close the door. Close the door. Because we don't like to belong to each other. Because that means you might have opinions about me. But just like my elbow belongs to my arm, They're connected, and we are connected. 
we are connected. And in our connectedness, there we find purpose together. We're given gifts and not all the same gifts, but gifts to accomplish our purposes. We need each other. We don't like to need each other, but we need each other. So what are your gifts? What are your gifts? Years ago, I took a test, and that test confirmed something I knew in my heart but never had words for it. I took a spiritual gifts test, and it said, you are an encourager. I am! Yeah! And it was such a, like oh my gosh, that really is who I am. And now it doesn't matter what job I have as long as I can be who I was created to be. Oh, it was enlightening. And ever since then, there's been this sense of purpose. I'm an encourager. I'm going to go forth and encourage. It's not always like that. (laughs) But I I didn't give myself a gift of encouragement. I have the gift of encouragement. I didn't do that for myself. That's who God created me to be. However, I am in charge of executing that gift and using it. In the using of our gifts, we develop them and we grow. Many of you heard Twyla playing the guitar this morning. She's really grown in that gift. Do you know why? Because she's used it. She's practiced. She's gotten stronger and better. And it's fun. And her voice, she's been using her voice longer than she's been using the strings on that guitar. And do you hear how she uses that gift? It's so free and powerful. Because she said, yes, I'm going to use that gift. And I'm not talking about standing up here on Sunday morning. The girl sings all the time. It flows out of her just as naturally as can be because she's used it and developed it. Are you aware of your own giftedness? This is where our uniqueness shines. There are things that Marie Allen can do that I cannot do. There are ways that she thinks that I cannot think. Bless God for her gifts. It makes me better. That's the beauty of our gifts in use in the kingdom. We bless each other. We pull each other up. And we move each other forward. No one can be you. Now, if you aren't sure what your gifts are, oh, I just don't know what my gifts are, Paige. Ask God. Ask him. He wants you to know what he's put in you that makes you unique. Ask him to reveal to you what you bring to this table. You have gifts, special, unique gifts that are only yours. Ask God. Ask a friend who knows you. I guarantee the people you spend time with know some of your gifts. They see them. In the days, months, and years after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples surely, surely, had to figure out who was going to do what. They had to figure out what their giftedness was. Peter was not like John. I'm glad there was only one Peter. He was kind of a handful. 
They had to see where their gifts were and figure out how to function together as they laid down their lives and continued to give themselves to the kingdom, just like we are. They developed and grew. We saw them grow bold and strong, not cocky or arrogant, but confident of who God was in them. Their fear of death, their fear of failure, their fear of missing out on anything else the world had to offer decreased. Ours can too. Those are things I struggle with. Do you struggle with that? Fear of death, fear of failure, fear of missing out on something good? I struggle with that stuff. But as my faith in God increases, as he becomes greater, those fears, his perfect love does what? Casts out Thank you. Cast out all fear. As he increases in us, our giftedness flows out of his strength, his goodness, and his power. Because Jesus is alive in me, I can humbly serve any way he asks. He will use my gifts as I follow him. Now, the last section of our text is verses 9 through 21. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. You're welcome. We are going to look at all of it again, but a little differently. There are a lot of commands in verses 9 through 21. Be this, do that. But don't miss, it starts with one statement. Verse 9 starts with, Love must be sincere. Everything else comes after that. Love must be sincere. This is where that transformation thing that we were talking about at the beginning really starts to really, really, really get real. You with me? Because without the transformation part, sincere love, a little tough. How many of you had a mom who made you say you were sorry to a sibling or a friend and you didn't want to? You remember the, I'm sorry. Or the sharing of the toy that was your most precious, my precious, sorry, nerd. The most precious (laughs) thing, you're welcome. What about sharing that toy? Oh, okay, you can have it. And the words were correct. The words were there. I'm sorry. Here, you can have it. But the feelings, the heart, was it sincere? No. I don't know. Oh, no, you can't give me a sock. I don't know why he's giving me a sock. That was odd. But the sincerity thing, when we try to do things that Jesus asks us to do, loving and praying for our enemies, for example, it's nearly impossible to do sincerely without his work in our hearts and our minds. Nearly impossible. It's so easy to be like, I'm heaping coals by being nice, right? 
But is heaping coals the point? No, we have to move past the wanting to stick it to them. We have to move past that. The work of loving sincerely is the outflow of a resurrected Jesus in us. His work in us. If I'm spending time with Jesus, asking him to give me his mind, he is capable of giving me the right thoughts to go with the actions. Years ago, sorry, I'm stuck. Years ago, I suffered a pretty awful blow at the hands of a friend. I was really, really wounded. We had been best friends, and in one conversation, it was gone. Rubble and dust. Eight years of friendship. Toilet. Still stings when I think about it. I journaled my thoughts the night it happened and was taken aback when I read what I had written. I would never have imagined you as my enemy, and today you are. We went to church together. We were best friends. We loved Jesus. We studied the Bible together. Iron sharpens iron. And I wrote the words, today you are my enemy. Now, I didn't send it to her. It was for my own working it out. Years later, still unresolved, still sneering in my head every time I saw her name, I got a card in the mail by accident, I'm pretty sure. And with it was a picture of her and her family. I remember walking to the trash can to throw it away. Angry, irritated, every word she had said to me flying through my mind, but also in my mind were the words from Scripture. The Holy Spirit reminded me, love your enemies and pray for them. Oh, no. Do not ask this of me. No, God. Don't ask me to pray for that. (laughs) Yep. I didn't want to pray for her, and I really didn't feel any love. (laughs) But as my heart was wrestling with this, I knew I had a choice. Because we get choices, people. And my choice was my way, the trash can, or God's way, prayer. That day, her picture went on my refrigerator. And three times a day, at least, her face smiling at me from my refrigerator door. So I began praying. And very quickly, God said, Paige, you can't just pray that I will smite her. (laughs) And he began coaching me. Paige, pray for her blessing. Pray that I will pour my spirit on her. Pray that I will comfort her because she lost a friend too. 
pray for her good. Pray for her finances. Pray for her children. Pray for her marriage. That they will be good and solid and green, growing. Do you know what God did? What came out of it was reconciliation. Something I never wanted, neither did she. (laughs) Reconciliation, healing, and love. But just a few weeks ago, when my uncle died, I was home and talking to a mutual friend. And I was telling about this. And she said, do you know what? I'm pretty sure those cards went out right as their lives were falling apart. They lost their jobs. They lost everything. Had to pick up and move. Everything in their world was shaking. At the same time, God was asking me to love my enemy. Who knew? Go God! (laughs) It's crazy. I love it when he does stuff like that. He is faithful and ridiculously good. Right? Ridiculously good. Now, in light of sincere love, the kind Jesus shows us, let's look at this little list of commands. I'm going to actually put them up on screen. I hope you can read them. I was jamming them in there. All right, let's read this list. Take a moment. I want you to look through it and just take stock. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them, even on Facebook. I'm sure it would say that if the Bible were written today. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In my notes, they're check boxes. <laughs> Can you identify some that are hard for you? I read a few of them, and I'm like, I'm doing all right. And then there's one that makes me uncomfortable. Kind of like, ugh. And then there are the ones that are like, "Mm -mm, nope, that same feeling of, I can't do that, don't ask me that. 
And the truth is, guys, we can't. Apart from Christ, I just don't think it's possible to do all that stuff. Be patient in affliction. I can't. He can in me. But it costs something. And this is sometimes where we get salvation and transformation all screwy. Salvation is a thing where we go, it's free. You can have it. All you have to do is take it. Here's my free salvation from the Lord. Transformation costs you your life. It's not easy. It is painful. We talked about the potter's wheel. And the potter's wheel sounds so pretty. And we see ghosts in our head, that movie. And, you know, the the clay flinging everywhere in water. And it's beautiful. What about the chisel? The chisel is painful. And that comes, too, with the shaping of us. It costs me something to lay down my life and offer myself to the potter. It costs my will. It costs me the trash can that day. My rights. Am I willing to lay down my rights, my personal rights, my family rights, my social rights, my American rights, all the rights that I think are mine to have and stand up for, am I willing to put them down and say, your will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's hard. That's not easy. We are not inviting you into easy following Jesus. Can't do it. It's not real. Salvation, as easy as taking a breath, accepting the free gift of Jesus. But transformation, submitting yourself to his will, that is painful, hard work. And it lasts your entire lifetime. There is no arriving. Heaven. (laughs) Woo! And even then I'm, yeah. But because Jesus is alive in me, I can love like he did. You and I, we're not our own. If we say we love Jesus, if we say he is Lord, we are agreeing to put ourselves on the potter's wheel. Make me new. Make me like you. Shape my heart, shape my mind, and take my thoughts and make them yours. Because Jesus is alive, we can do things we never imagined or thought possible. We can love our enemies. It's possible. We can forgive those who've wronged us. We can prefer others above ourselves. We can celebrate when someone else gets what we wanted. That green monster that loves to live in us, be gone. We can celebrate with our friends when good things happen to them. We can ask for healing and see it happen. We can because he did and he lives in us. Jesus is alive 
And because of that, you and I are freshly alive too. Go God. Go God. Now let's check in. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Do you feel alive? Do you feel dead? Somewhere in between? I propose that each one of us can leave here today transformed in some small way. I just believe it. I have faith for that. You can leave here today with a renewed mind. You can go away knowing these things are the will of God. It's what he wants us to do. The Bible tells us when we are weak, he is strong. Maybe you feel weak, ineffective, and significant. Guess what? He can still use you. Yep. Because it's not about your strength. It's not about your awesomeness. It's not about my awesomeness. Thank God it never was. It's his strength. 